one of the things that, that I began to think about, um, and it started out as a result of reading a book um, regarding basically the Lincoln era, Civil War period, etc. And out of that, uh, I found myself segueing right into basically what will be the notes for for tonight's fellowship, if that continues to be the plan. But um, uh, this this thing is so far gone; it's not salvageable. And not only is it not salvageable, as as I probably indicated in in some ways, in some respects, through the series I did on America's constitutional idolatry, um, it really shouldn't be salvaged. Uh, because to do so it is tantamount to our own destruction. And so, you know, this is the thing that I think people are going to have to begin to wrestle with. And, you know, one of the smartest things that Rush Limbaugh has actually spoken in the past three and a half years uh, is that this is not about Donald Trump. I remember saying this back in Reagan's days. You know, this isn't about Ronald Reagan. You know, Ronald Reagan is just a man. He's one person. What this is about is it is about us. It is about the people. It is about the Christian foundation of the core principle of the rule of law in, intended to be embodied in the documents for the purposes of operating under the rule of law. Well, we have now uh, a bounty of historical evidence that we have not operated under this rule of law called this constitutional framework since within the first decade of its inception. If you're looking at any historical you know, record at all, you have to come to that conclusion. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yep, go ahead. Is the inspector general's name Horowitz? Yeah. How am I supposed to give a damn what his opinion is? Or uh, Attorney General Barr? Or, you know, these guys... They're not elected, so so Comey's just saying nanny, nanny, boom, boom, daddy got a broom, broom, and he's summoning it in the American people's face, and this big tough guy Trump, who's supposed to be a go-getter, he just says that's sad. Wow, I, ooh, I hate it. And he takes it. He takes everything they throw his way. And why doesn't he investigate those two? You know, find out that Barr was a big donor to to the Bush brother. He wasn't even a Trump supporter. How does he pick him for an attorney general? Okay, because now, well, you say... Look, here's what I'm sitting here saying. 
This is how they fixed the Kennedy assassination, the Vietnam War, the 9-11 crap. They get a group of these people together and they issue an opinion and the media says, well, uh, this is the way it is and if you don't accept it, you're a conspiracy kook. And that's the end of the story. Now let's talk about the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, I mean, precisely. That's, you know, a pretty good analogy, a pretty good nutshell. Um, and the people have been swallowing it for how long? And only by the grace of God is there the possibility that that a, a greater preponderance of them are no longer swallowing it. And Levine's come out now with this big push to rewrite the Constitution. I don't know if you've heard. But he says it's not working. We need to write a new one. Uh, so he's now proposed that as opposed to the Convention of the States? Is that it? Well, that is essentially what the Convention of the States' goal is, isn't it? Uh, well, in his theory that he's proposed through his writings, uh, it, it's to return the power to the states ostensibly. But, you know, that actually is the crux uh, and the foundation for where this fellowship tonight will end up. Because that's how it all got started for me, was I began to consider during this research and study that I was doing uh, on Lincoln and the Civil War period, um, I mean, the, the, whole, the whole idea that has been presented to the American people was, number one, it was about slavery, and number two, it was about saving a nation. And whether you can accept those on their face value or not should be determined by the facts which would surround the the information uh, that propaganda or whatever that is being peddled in those two in those two propositions right you should be able to support it by if that's the purpose we should be able to support it well it it appears pretty clear to me uh in that no way, no no way, in fact, can either of those two things um, actually be true because what that guy did as a president was more egregious than what King George did or some might say at least equally egregious, but I dare say it was more egregious because the stakes were much higher and the people of the nation more vulnerable um, as a result of already, you know, 50 to 60 years of federal uh, power and authority uh, through this constitutional framework. You know what I mean by all that? Mm-hmm. 
So as I began to go, go ahead. It was set up by the North, and it was up. What kind of Southern people were at that convention? Yeah, not only was it set up, I mean, he, 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 he threw an entire legislature, basically a Virginia legislature, you know, behind bars in, in bonds. Um, he suspended habeas corpus, which is the right to bring the body for, is the right for Russell to demand that his body be for, brought forward to a magistrate to answer to what crime or what cause he supposedly has done something. That's and not only that, then, yeah, not only that, then, he fired the shot into the South, creating the war. Yep. Creating the commencement of it. So he fired on his own people, on his own nation, under the guise <clears throat> and the auspices that it's all about the Union. It's all about, you know, freeing the slaves. Exactly. We know what he thought about the slaves. Exactly. Yeah, we have his we have his his quotes from the Lincoln Douglas debates that clearly articulate, at least unless he was a lying politician what his position was and that he had no intention of dividing the union over quote-unquote slavery or the issue of slavery so he was a union man what does it mean that he was a union man he was a federal thug (laughs) yeah and he was willing to do the will of the federal thugs so after you know these kinds of revelations and conclusions and and you know new insights into into history um i began to consider once again that there's no well organized and systematic approach to confront illegitimate functions and usurpation of authority not granted There's no well-organized or systematic approach. Our only approach and our only systematic function in this process is the election box. Would you agree? That's what they tell us. I mean, and yeah, and that's what you're saying when you say that's what they tell us because in your mind you're saying, well, it certainly isn't very effective, right? That's what you're saying by saying that. Yeah. And so, so if every single institution of the constitutional framework, the executive, the legislative, the judiciary, they each have a stake in its exercise of power rather than its specifically limited or limiting itself to the power. So each of those institutions or organizations which attach itself to one of those, so let's just take the judiciary. What all attaches itself to the judiciary? 
Well, let's see. We have a bar association of, of attorneys, don't we? And then we can just go on down the list of the various organizations which attach themselves to one of these um, functions or, or entities of, of authority. And it seeks its expansion to include them. So each one of these subsequently seeks expansion to include those under them, each one plundering their fellow citizens in direct proportion to how well they're capable of organizing politically. So as you can easily understand, the stronger the group organization, the greater the perceived benefit accrues to them. And I say perceived because belief is nine-tenths of the benefit. Those that are aligned with the group operate under the belief that their political organization will redound to accrued benefit. And most of those will never understand that if it does, it may only be temporary at best, and if not temporary, will require numerous and continual efforts to maintain one measure of benefit. So whether it's legislative, executive, or judiciary, as these three branches of government, enshrined in this constitutional framework, each one of them is consistently working to what? To expand its authority or control or power within the constitutional framework. Am I making sense? Yeah. Um, you were talking earlier about Lincoln. Uh, doing his thing as far as habeas corpus. I want yeah. you to listen to. I want you to listen to something. Are you familiar with Shay's Rebellion? Um, I have read about Shay's Rebellion, so I do know what it is. Go ahead. Okay, this was George Washington. This is the first president. Exactly. Numero uno. Uh, Massachusetts legislator, legislature passed a bill using sheriffs from any responsibility if they killed any insurgents and declared harsh punishment for the rebels. The legislator suspended the writ of habeas corpus and prescribed the death penalty for militiamen who took part in the protest. And all they were now protesting I, was the money issue. And and I thought, I thought that this Constitution said the right of habeas corpus should never be suspended. Well, your problem is you read too much and you retain too much. Well, they sure are working on that because they, they sure are working on our brains. They're trying to make it so that our brains can't remember anything. I'm convinced of that. Something's going we're on told, with it. We're told Samuel Adams is a patriot, aren't we? Doesn't everybody think of yeah. that? Yeah. 
said anybody that exercised the, was it the First Amendment free speech? Uh, he called for execution of rebellious farmers exercising their uh, right to free speech. And so it didn't originate with Lincoln, did it? No. No, it didn't. In fact, I was going to bring that up, and I'm glad you did, because, yeah, we're, you, you go right back to the very first president right there in, in that rebellion, and you saw him acting as uh, as a tyrant. And then, yep. you know, you go forward, you know, you go forward another 50 years to 60 years, and you find, you know, Lincoln following suit, doing the same, being just like a tyrant. Now, and all our of it, and, yeah. Our lifetime, our lifetime, and this is just the past 16 years, they released a report, yet, a report yesterday that said we've been lied to about every war in the past 16 years was a big, fat lie. Surprise. And this, this guy, that, this Saudi guy that murdered American citizens, um, it's come up several times in the last two days that, after all, Majority of the 9/11 attackers were Saudi Arabians. How much? How stupid do you have to be to believe this narrative that we're living in? Yeah. That is pushed by George Bush, Obama, Trump. Take your pick. Like you said, they're not going to empty the swamp. They drown. Where are they going to go? The swamp is the matrix. And when you get out and you can see, when you put the sunglasses on, you become a problem for the matrix, don't you? Absolutely. And so, therefore, that's why they spy on us, isn't it? Constantly. Data, 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 data. There's they're so insecure with their self. All this password crap with computers is nothing but a manifestation of how evil, wicked, and untrusting and lying these people are that create these machines. Yeah. It is, you know, you find yourself, you find yourself really out in the cold, so to speak, when 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 the Lord is leading you to the truth, opening uh-huh. your eyes continually, and um, showing the the evilness of the way. Um, you know, and that that's one of the things I think that as I began to consider, I, I stopped all the notes that I was you know generally taking. And the the way that I was taking the notes, I was taking the notes as it pertains to state sovereignty because I wanted to show and prove the fallacy of the idea of state sovereignty, which is the convention of the states, right? 
And so if I'm going to counter that thesis um, and attempt to counter it uh, with at least a rudimental foundation, then um, I've got to begin to look at states' rights issues, if, if, if you will, or at least the principles that are being espoused and, and the efficacy that it's supposed to embody. And so what you see is the continual activity of this constitutional framework once again. Now, if that same constitutional framework was essentially adopted in the 50 states, which in great measure it was, because many of the states adopted, therefore, the, the national constitution premise and the national constitution format, if you will, for their own state constitutional charters. So now you've got states set up in the same way that the, the federal constitution was set up. And so if the federal constitution is flawed, and now the state constitutions have been adopted in the same manner, doesn't it follow reason, Russell, that the state framework, constitutional framework, would be in the same peril? Absolutely. Okay, so if it follows then that it would be in the same peril, then isn't it just, again, more noise to say that we just need a convention of the states where the states can take back power because then we would have states like California who are exercising a power and another state says, well, you know, California is doing this and that and whatever else, and so therefore we feel compelled that we should do it also. Well, if you have somebody in your state that's been elected to office that doesn't have the intestinal fortitude or even the wisdom to say, no, just because California thinks it's good and California has, you know, done, you know, an evil deed or a stupid deed does not mean that we should throw in lockstep and do likewise. And that's exactly what we're already seeing is states doing things like other states. And why? Why? Because, Russell, it's all about the union, isn't it? It's all about the uniformity. It's all about the greater good, isn't it? Uh-huh. The good of the whole. Yeah. And, of course, that's what we've, that's what we've been taught is that's, that's, what, that's what we do as a community of individuals. And, of course, we can only look to the biblical record, and the biblical record teaches us likewise, that when we're going to join together in community, then we're to love one another. And, you know, all these things that, that they will use for their own tools when they want to use the biblical record but then they will ignore the weightier matter, won't they? Yeah. So, anyhow, where I wound up, I, I thought about this whole situation. You see, whether it's a law or God's constitution, I've said it before, it really doesn't matter. 
Because if it's not set up with the capacity and in the creator's design, I began to think again about does the creator retain sovereignty? And if that question is legitimate, then I had to ask also, in the constitutional framework, I was under the understanding that the people are the sovereign. So the question that I posed was, if the sovereign maintains its sovereignty, then it has the power and should retain the power to destroy the created. And the answer I came to is yes. Because God created the creation. And he retained the right to destroy anything within the creation. Did he not? Mm -hmm. Never subjugating it at all. So if we, the people, are the creator of the Constitution, and if we are the creator of what has now become the outcropping of that, we have and should be able to maintain the right of sovereignty to destroy that which was created. But where's the mechanism to destroy it, Russell? Oh, well, it's called the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. It's the right of the, what that which hasn't been stated is the right of the states respectively and the peoples. Oh, okay. Well, then just how do I do that? How do I exercise and how do I entertain that right? Where's the mechanism? So it got me thinking it got me thinking about confederate and confederacy. And so I thought I'd go look it up. Well, let me tell you what it says in the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Confederate as an adjective in the sense of united or lead is twice the translation of berith, meaning covenant, in the several instances translated league, as in Genesis 14.3, ba'al berith, lord or master of a covenant, an ally, these were confederate with Abram, compared in like manner to Psalms 83.5. So confederate occurs, uh, in Maccabees 10, 16, uh, confederacy as a league occurs as the translation of Berith, the men of the confederacy, as in Obadiah 1, 7, <clears throat> and as a conspiracy as it occurs in Isaiah 8, 12. So, 
And then also it cited the scripture from 2 Samuel 15 and 2 Kings 12, say you not a confederate. So uh, confederate, it's a league. It is uh, berith, which is a covenant. Mm-hmm. And Baal means Lord or Master. So a Baal Berith is a master of a covenant or the covenant's master or the covenant's creator. Making sense? Uh-huh. So going to Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 to 6, we find that that word covenant there is number 1285, meaning Berith, meaning covenant or league. And it cites Romans 4.17, Genesis 32.28, Genesis 35.10, Nehemiah 7. <clears throat> then in Joshua 24, verses 14 to 15 and verse 25, we have Joshua's covenant or confederacy there, as well as that recorded in Isaiah 44, 5, 49, 6, and 8, and Acts 26, 6, and 7. Now, some may not look at those scriptures and find them having the same meaning that I do, uh, but in the proper context, they should have the same meanings to them. And I think for the sake of time, I want to just quick go over to Acts chapter 26 because I think it sets a pretty good foundation for the intention of the discussion here. Acts 26 verses 6 through 7. And now I stand. Now we're, of course, talking about Paul. Paul is appearing before Agrippa here in the book of Acts of the Apostles. And he says at verse 6, And now I stand and am judged. I am judged for the hope. I am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise are twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. So, there's a little bit to unpack there, it seems to me. Are you telling me that we're a member of a confederation if we're Abraham's children or an offspring? That I, I'm telling you what? We are a member of a confederation of Israelites due to the covenant with Abraham. That is exactly what I am saying. And Are isn't it time? Huh? Aren't we more like a family? Uh, you're a little bit muffled, but I thought I heard you say, are we more like a family? A family. Yeah, we are a family. But if a family is comprised of different members of the family 
and extended members of the family over periods of time, indeed generations of time, although a family, we're extended families, and do we not league together or confederate together for the mutual protection of one another? And isn't this essentially the same thing that Lot did for his nephew or in behalf of his nephew? He viewed him as in confederate or in league with him and, and as a family sought over protection for his nephew Lot, who was taken, kidnapped. So, yeah, um, I hope I'm not trying to stretch something into something, if that's the implication is that, well, gee, doesn't it say enough to say we're family? Yeah, but the point is, I just thought of a confederation when God made together when God when God made the covenant with Israel Berith, which means covenant it was a league with the sons of Israel and so that's exactly what we had was we had a confederacy we had a uh, a confederacy of the 12 sons of Jacob Israel in league with one another, in league with God, to do the will of the Creator. And that that word league means literally comes from the Latin word ligari to bind. And we were That's bound correct. together we were bound together through God's promise. That's what ties us together. Yeah, and and the whole scriptural rec- the whole scriptural record, you know, Christ saying that, you know, we are to be one with Him. If we don't confess Him, if we don't acknowledge Him, we can't acknowledge the Father. If we don't acknowledge, if we don't acknowledge and can't acknowledge the 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 prophets and don't accept the words of the prophets, the the prophecies of the prophets, and so forth we likewise are are void of the knowledge of God. We're void of the will of God. We're void of, and did he not then also, as he says right here, this is the promise. This is the hope of the promise to those confederate sons of Israel. He says right there in Acts 26, 6 and 7, serving God day and night. Would to God that the Israelites of today could understand they're in a league with God to serve him day and night and to carry out his will. And when we abandon, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but when we abandon him 225 years ago for this constitutional framework, we did the same thing that the Israelites did when they abandoned God in the days of Samuel. In fact, um, I don't have time to go into it all in one fellowship here, but when you look at uh, the situation, the entire situation in the first book of Samuel is conveying the entire um, tribal confederacy to the 
the monarchy, and then the decline. And so what I'm looking at is I'm looking at America in the same way in which we leagued with God in that covenant of those first settlers coming to America, and they made that league with God in the, in the wilderness, and they took upon them his laws, commands, and statutes, just as Abraham had obeyed God's voice, they likewise sought to obey God's voice. And then from this confederacy that we leagued together of the peoples in the first 250 years in a, on the North American continent, we saw it all stripped away and we saw the monarchy grow through the federal leviathan called the you know, federal government and the constitutional framework. And now what are we seeing? We are seeing exactly the same things we see in the book of Samuel where, you know, even his sons, Eli's sons, you know, as as they as they the Bible conveys, they were sons of Belial. They were worthless. They they you know they were by right going to inherit the father's household, if you will, and the father's dominion, being Eli the the priest. And so that doesn't work out very well. And so what happens is we see this continual spiral uh, into degradation the larger the, the, um, uh, the league, I don't even really want to say the larger the league became, but rather with the league, there came the greater propensity to go away from the will of God and the divine structure. And it's the same thing we see here in America. You know what I'm saying? Yep. You know, when we think about um, the, the 12 gates and the 12 angels in the book of Revelation, you know, again, it's another continually um, evident fact that God is conveying of what it is that he expects out of the the confederate sons of Israel. What he expects and what will be is, as John saw in the Revelation, the 12 gates sat upon by the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's that same cause that they were confederated under from the very beginning. And well, well, isn't this interesting, Doug? That that the the word league is to bind. I was looking up what is loosened about and it comes from several words the gothic 
we get the word Laos. You've heard of a Laos before. Yep. But uh, if you're not bound, you're you're loose. You're divided and you're cut apart. You're uh, left hanging, unfinished and undecided and unguarded, free from any obligation. A sense of rambling, disconnected, and one could uh, say one 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 could say one could say unconfederate. <laughs> yeah, free from moral restraint. Uh, that sounds like many of the rock and roll tunes in the '60s, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you know. Flip over to First Peter two nine while you're getting your next thought there, Russell. And um, um, oh, I'm in Second Peter. I was going to say that did not look right. First Peter two, yeah. So, once again, um, going, going, what I'm trying to convey is the New Testament Christian who professes to be the New Testament Christian doesn't fully grasp the concept yet of this continued confederacy, this continued covenant, this continued league with God, because they've been taught by their churches that that was all old, and, and it doesn't exist. But look at First Peter 2.9, where he says to them that you are a chosen generation, the royal, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past we were not a people, but now are, but are now, the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is totally contradictory to the doctrine that has been taught that these people of Israel don't exist, did, no longer were in, in any covenantal or league or any relationship with this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob any longer. And so I'm looking at it and I'm saying, so when all of the apostles, which were all Israelites, gathered, they represented the dominion of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just as these that were the 12 tribes sitting on the 12 thrones, as Revelations revealed. So the central authority is Yahweh, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the central authority represented through the Son. And his spirit abides in those who he has called into this confederation of those he calls, which will abide in his will, comprising the confederation. So then I looked up Webster's 1828, confederation, quote, the act of confederating, a league, a compact for mutual support and alliance. And it cites Genesis 1413. So then when I was in Genesis looking at the books of the beginning for some of this, I began 
to contemplate some things that you know we talk about in the past, but trying to put them in the context of this continued league, this continued alliance that God has covenanted with Israel about. And the word Israel means uh, Israel, or uh, means either Elohim contends or rules with, or God prevails, or rules with God. There's two or three different variations of how it's conveyed by definition. But uh, in Genesis 32, 28, when God said, and thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, I hadn't contemplated Jacob's name. Um, that name, Jacob, is number 3478, and it is um, equal to God prevails. But it's interesting that it comes from Sarah, which is just like Sarah. We would say Sarah today, number 8280, and it means to contend or have power to contend with. So, but I was thinking about Jacob's name, 3290. Uh, I'm sorry, I said that Jacob, uh, that uh, Israel, number 3478, I, I misspoken attributed that to Jacob. But Jacob's name is number 3290, and it means heel holder or supplanter. Israel meant with God, prevailing with God, or Elohim rules, or Elohim contends, or God prevails, or God or rules with God. There are three or four different variations to the definition there of Israel. But think about this. So Jacob's name is the heel holder or supplanter. So what God is saying by changing Jacob's name and the name having meaning, he says, you're no longer called the heel holder. You're no longer to be called the supplanter. You are no longer to be called by those two terms or the terms of that name. You are going to be called now by this new name, which is Israel, which means prevails with God. And Jacob's being told this, so there shouldn't be any doubt that he's to prevail with God. I looked up prevail, 1828, it means to overcome, gain the victory or superiority, and this is the name given as God's chosen people in Exodus 6, 7, Numbers 23, 9, Deuteronomy 4, 37, 2 Samuel 7, 23, Psalms 135, 4. And I know I went through them fast, but anybody listening to the archives can pull, slow the archive down and jot those down and go look at those. Right. Um, go. Wait. Listen to this. Prevail. <clears throat> Directly from Latin, prevail to be stronger, to have greater power, from prey, Valeri, have power to be strong, to be strong, spelling in English perhaps influenced by avail. There you have it. And that's great because, yeah, yeah, and so, so this is the name that was given God's chosen people in their obedience, they would result in higher exalted position. 
as Deuteronomy 26.19, Deuteronomy 28.1 and 13, Deuteronomy 13.13, Deuteronomy 33.29, Isaiah 14, um, Isaiah 45 and 49. Uh, you know, it just, it, it just goes on and on. And then they, this would be the name which would make them uh, immune to pestilence and disease as referred in Exodus 15:26 and Psalms 91:7 they they would be victorious in warfare as in, as told about in Genesis 14:15 and Joshua 10:11 and 1 Samuel 7 and 11 and 2 Chronicles and on and on this is the the name that would be the peculiar treasure of Exodus 19:5 chosen by God at Deuteronomy 14:2 they would be guided like a flock as Psalm 78 said they would be prepared for service to Jacob's God, Luke 117, Acts 1514. They would be a people with a zeal for good works, redeemed from all iniquity, pure, purified to him as a peculiar people. Okay. And their hearts Hold would on. be written on. Yeah, go. Hold on just a minute now. So I'm sitting here thinking, this sounds genetic. So I look up genetic, and it sends me to gene from the Greek word genia, generation, race, beget. Wow, do you understand what what we're learning here tonight? Absolutely, absolutely. That is exactly the thing that I began to contemplate, you know, as, as I say, it all started out of just doing some historical research and study regarding Lincoln and the Civil War period, which then prompted you to remind us about George Washington in Shays' Rebellion and how these powers, these, these, this constitutional framework, which supposedly prohibited these tyrannical type powers were exercised within the first opportunity that men had to exercise them. And it's always done for the good of the people. It, that's always the reason that they use. But is it really for the good of the people or is it by the will and the designs of man? And that's exactly what I'm trying to express here. Now, I know that we get this, but as we try to continue to convey these things to others and for those that listen to the archives and so forth and pass them on to others, that's what we're trying to do is to continue to open the minds to the idea that we've got to get out of this thinking thinking that we're boxed into through this document uh-huh. that we have you know, been so patriotically um, obsessed with and that we have taken as our idol. And what, we need to return the, to the true God. Go ahead. What does the accuser, the accuser and the slanderer and the evildoer say? There is no race but the human race. So they want to blot that out, that whole genetic connection. Wouldn't it be interesting if instead of genetic they started saying, using the word race, racial? Uh, it's a racial disorder. Okay, once you start to figure out the races, I mean, 
how hard is it to simply say there is different races? That's a crime now. Yeah. You, you, you know? They, they're using as the I word said, human. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as I was saying, the the whole thing, you know, like I said, one of the smartest things Limbaugh said uh, in the past three and a half years is this isn't about this one man. It's about us. But I don't know that he really means us in the sense that I mean us. And I, what I mean is, is, is the Christian. You know, see, we've taken on the name of conservative, I guess, um, so as to somehow shroud ourselves in secrecy as to who we really are. You see my point? Uh-huh. And instead of being the covenant sons of God and instead of expressing ourselves in confederation and in a league with God to carry out the will of the creator in the creation, we're hiding behind everything else under the sun instead of extolling the virtue of the name. Do not your children extol the virtue of your name, the king name? Absolutely they do, because it has power. It has clout in certain circles or, you know, whatever. That's what the name means. And so back to Acts 26, 6, and 7, where Paul says this, um, the interesting thing that I found is that in that first phrase, I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise I am cross-referenced. And guess where I am cross-referenced to? Let me quick look back because I just want to make sure that I've got my notes always correct with what the Scripture says. So I'm going to get back into Acts 26 and make sure that I didn't make any errors with what I jotted down. But I've got, I have a footnote here which leads me to and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God. Okay, so in this first verse of 6, I am cross-referenced to guess where? Genesis 3.15. And what do we have in Genesis 3.15? Russell, you just said it. The very adversary to the will of God and his righteousness. The seed of promise, which was to bruise the head of the curse of sin and death. The God of Abraham must now lead his created through the seed of Abraham to his righteousness, teaching them commandments, laws, statutes, and judgments given by God. Just as Genesis 26, 5 records. So here we are. Paul himself is standing there saying, look, all I'm conveying to you, you know, King Agrippa, is that I stand judged for the hope of the promise that we had and were given. That our Redeemer, our Messiah, was going to bruise the head of the adversarial condition to God's righteousness, which was sin and death. 
And he's standing there being accused. This is not an institution built with hands. It's not governed by annual decrees like our current constitutions and so far are. This is governed by the king of kings. This is governed by the commands, statutes, and judgments of God. Not that we are bound by them in terms of our observing and obeying and obedience to them that we would be justified by our observance of them, but know that we would know the righteousness of God through it, that we would be trained by it. Matthew 28, 18-20, it can't be any more clear that he could have said, and this is the great commission that the New Testament Christian will extol and extol and extol, but without meaning, without intention. It says, all power, I'm at 18 in verse 20, or chapter 28 of Matthew, all power is given unto me in the heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This is the commission of teaching, and we have this unrighteousness going on in this country here, and the people are pulling their hair out. The people with what? With the law of God on their heart. The people with what? The ones who profess Christ. The ones who profess the will of the Creator. The ones who have, have submitted themselves to the righteousness under the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You know, we're told in the prophets, it's written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me, John 6.45. So right here back at Acts 26, 6 and 7, under which promise our 12 tribes, I gave us a couple of dozen scriptural references to the promises and the hope of these 12 tribes. These 12 tribes. These 12 tribes are bound spiritually in the confederacy with God. In Isaiah 49, we learn of the shadow of God's hand. In verse 6, it says, quote, Is it a light thing that thou should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? Who's that talking about? He's talking about the Redeemer. And who was Isaiah? Isaiah was the one who was to come before. And they couldn't recognize that he had come. Well, didn't he say, the scriptures say, that Isaiah is supposed to come first? And and Christ says, yeah, absolutely right. And he did indeed come first. Hello. (laughs) So the manifestation, that's what we're interested in. The manifestation of this race, which is involved in this covenant, is compassion and conscious God consciousness. Amen. And, and if it doesn't exist, 
There's a red flag. Red flag, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like I said, several. I'm sorry. If it doesn't exist, you can slander with impunity. Absolutely, absolutely. You are you are at liberty to do whatever you want, and that brought me this whole thing just just about this whole constitutional thing and, and everything that's going on in America. You see, you're at liberty to do whatever you want and call law whatever you want to call law because the law is constantly changing. So this is how we can sit and watch these people fly like dogs and have no problem doing it. They're very comfortable slandering. It's their nature. Isn't that interesting? Well, there's your explanation and for for this guy. What's his name? Shifty Shift. He has no conscience. His fat little brother no. never. Yeah. And. And they know how to use fancy words like, like what did the little miss female dog leader of the house say? I'm praying for the president. Praying for his demise. More like praying on the president. Yeah. Yes, sir. So if there's a race of people covenanted with God, there's other races that are coveted not with God, but with anti-God, which would be adversarial, which would be the enemy, which must be thrown out of your camp to survive. And this is why God is taken out and the references to God. This is the, the reason that it has to be taken out. You know, we're also told... I'm sorry, go ahead. I said it exclusionary or predicated on I mean that's probably why they do all this testing when you're a kid find out what your leanings are and they don't care if you're educated you ever notice how those tests they gave you were kind of weird Maybe they're trying to get into your head, find out what race you are. Because the enemy only fears one race, the race, right? Yeah. In uh, Luke... uh Chapter 2, verse uh, 32, we're reminded that how he is prepared, uh, uh, he, he says in 31, 
which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the nations and the glory of thy people Israel. Um, this light to the nations. You think of this whole Ukraine story and you're thinking about how there was corruption within a government system and yet when you have people that come into the positions to try to root out the corruption, the tentacles of the corruption and the rot, the decay, the leaven are so entrenched and so deep because, you know, Scripture tells us, of course, you know, the, the heart of man is deceptively wicked above all things. And so, obviously, there's a whole lot more uh, uh, desire for wickedness than there is desire for good. And it all, has to, it all has to do with things of the world, you know, things of the world as opposed to a true love for the creator and his creation. You said Jesus said he came to bring what? You say uh, Luke. Yeah, Luke chapter uh-huh. 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 31 and 32. Okay, re- read it again. Or just the part about light. Yeah, he says, uh, and really 25 to 35 for better context, but it says, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the nations and the glory of thy people Israel. Okay, hold that thought. Light, radiant energy, that which makes things visible. From Anglican West Saxon, spiritual illumination from Proto-Germanic Luke Tim, uh, Old Saxon, Leot, Christian, Light, Dutch. Uh, I mean, we see this word light and we conjure up what we think these words mean. Light, just an example. We don't think of it as being radiant energy or spiritual illumination. And what is spiritual illumination, Doug? That would be a really good explanation of what Jesus came to bring to the people, wouldn't it? Spiritual illumination. Well, that would be consciousness of the promise to Abraham, the whole Follow that. That's spiritual illumination, isn't it? Yeah, and that's why it's so important, you know, that I read that Acts 26, 6, and 7, because, and that's not the only one. I mean, James 1, 1 and others, you know, uh, the conveyance of of the hope to these 12 tribes. You know, the church world has been infiltrated by the leaveners, and what do the leaveners intend to do? They intend to leaven the lump. And the reason they want to leaven the lump is for what purpose? So that the lump... Go ahead. 
They leaven the lump for self-aggrandizement, which goes right back to the Garden of Eden, which is Hindu, Buddha. It's all you evolve into Godhood without Jesus Christ, I might add. In other words, so you without God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you can become God and compete with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? Yeah. So, so they're their their arguing point or their philosophy, this anti-God people, is the myth is you can overcome the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if you just do whatever it is the rules are in those religions. I'm not not real sure. But maybe Rich knows. I, I, what I'm getting at here is this: this anti-God has a system as well, and it's all predicated on deception and self-pleasure uh, or vanity. Or it appeals to everything without God, doesn't it? Well, can I say this first? along that line. Yeah. So what you're saying so what you're saying, Russell, is that deity or that entity promotes its own confederacy, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. <laughs> a, le- a race of uh on covenant keepers. Or go uncircumcised. Come to kill, steal, and destroy. Anything that gets in the way of that business is attacked and denigrated. I don't understand how today's church world I mean, I do understand how, because it's by propaganda and deception and false teaching. I I, I get that. But isn't it, it's always perplexing that it can run so deep and so, um, and leaven so fully. Uh, Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Paul again in his epistle to the Romans. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. 
There shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And yet we are taught to believe that this God has changed. There's nothing the same. Uh, You know, he's dealing with the Gentiles, which is a word poorly translated simply meaning nations, that it just is mind-boggling and perplexing that the laity continues in such blatant lies and deception of theological truth. Not too hard to understand all the sheep and wolves clothing. The word Buddha literally means enlightened. Coming from the past participle of Buddha to awake, to know, perceive, is awake, observes, and understands. So, so there. That's part of the other branch of the gene pool in this planet. And I think I'm starting to figure out who conversed with Eve. I don't know how she can explain it. It was there you know, in the garden of Eve. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't Deceived. False propaganda. False propaganda was conveyed to Eve and as a result of what Adam was visually able to see that Eve was not dead, he was unable to comprehend the depth of what the act entailed. Listen to this. The, this uh, word Hindu uh, says one of the native races of India descended from the Aryan conquerors. More loosely, the name includes non-Aryan inhabitants of India. Now, what do we know about the word Aryans? We can either kill them or burn them out of existence. You know, in America, Israel was again allowing itself to be cut off and abandoning their first love, the divine protection of God. They started to become ensnared by the enemies of righteousness, lured into replacing the divine ordinances with the decrees of men, failing to make God's name great in the earth. 
but because of their beginning, they can now be recorded as hypocrites, you see, because, yeah, those Christians that started here, you know, they they were the proponents of slavery and this and that and everything else, and it's just not true. But that's what the deceiver does. The deceiver has to deceive the multitudes into believing the lie. This leaven had crept in unawares right here on the North American continent. Just as it did in the early Christian church in the first and second century, as it did in the church of Rome, as it did in the church of England, and as it's doing here in the churches of America. America was no longer going to be the new Jerusalem, the shining city on a hill. See, I I am convinced, as I said, that this is not salvageable. And I know many of us may have thought that, you know, 20 20 to 30 years ago already, that it was not salvageable. But Uh in some respects, you know, we had hope that it might be. But I think what's happened for me in the last three decades for sure has been that it is not to be salvaged. It is not to be salvaged for the sake of the confederacy of the sons of God with Israel, uh, the covenant sons of God of Israel with our Creator. That's why it is not to be salvaged and why it should not be salvaged and why we've got to be extolling that because, see, the alliance and the confederacy was being broken. A new God had arisen in their midst. It was a new confederacy that was formed, drawing the disciple of Christ away into divisions and strife concerning the commands and even the will of the Creator. Doctrines being leavened in unrighteousness and unity of diversity. A new will was being developed. The brotherhood of man. I I have this insert. Whatever it is, it's not working in America. If it is the Constitution, it's not working. And as we can see by our study tonight, it never has worked. Exactly. It's a false pretense. We have they been can, deceived. We've been captured in a spell. Been, yeah, we've been cast in a spell, deceived into believing. And I'm not accepting that premise from anybody anymore that says, well, it's the best we got. I'm yeah, telling you, it, 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 it's not working. It's never worked. We can see it played out before us today. That's they what I said. Up. We've got the histor- That's what I said. We've got the historical record, man. If we just anybody would just take the time to look from Washington to today, we've got the historical record. Who's going to police the fox that's protecting the hen house? There is nobody to watch over our attorney general, is there? No, that's, that's, you know, just like you asked earlier, 
that guy Horowitz, what is he supposed to do? Let me read you the definition of the Inspector General. He is the head of an independent, nonpartisan organization established within each executive branch agency assigned to audit the agency's operation in order to discover and investigate cases of misconduct, waste, fraud, and other abusive government procedures occurring within, and I got that's enough. Is that not enough? Now, Russell, Rich, Rich, Russell, can any one of you tell me at any time in your lifetime where you are aware of an inspector general having discovered cases of misconduct, fraud, or abuse which have resulted in anything that you are aware of? Zero. Zero for me. So, so what is the purpose? It's there to deceive us into believing it's another person who gets paid handsomely to do what? Protect, to protect the system. As I said in my opening statements here, what this is all about is there's no well-organized and systematic approach to confront illegitimate function and usurpation of authority not granted. There is not a single mechanism. If your mechanism is the Ninth and the Tenth Amendment, please tell me one case of its exercise and one case of how we are supposed to um, organize our efforts under it. And even still, as I also said in the opening, if the sovereign remains and retains sovereignty, just as our God retains the sovereignty over his created, he said, if you disobey me, I will show you consequences of that disobedience. From the very beginning of the garden, he showed the consequence of the disobedience. And he retained sole sovereign authority over that created, over the created. And we, as the supposed creators of this constitutional framework, where is the sovereignty that we have to exercise over the created to do the same thing, which is to destroy it? Our only mechanism is with this, this right, and I mean that as an R-I-T-E, of voting and we have seen that they have mastered the art through the power of money to keep the vote where they desire to vote to be to maintain the control and the power over the sovereign we have a new god in town and the new <laughs> god is we the people. Uh And even, even as the new sovereign, we're so stupid that we can't even understand that this created entity has bitten off our head so we have no ability to act because 
we can't even think. We no. by having bitten off our by having bitten off our head, it has taken our our senses of sight, our senses of reason, our senses of smell and taste. We can't even taste victory, victory in Christ. We can't even smell the fumes of these unrighteous being burned in the flames of righteousness. We can't even smell it. Who was the That's, who was the big giant that was tied down? Was that Gulliver? Yep. Yeah. Do you remember the the story of the big giant that had all these little ropes thrown over him? He had a name. Do you remember? Yeah, Gulliver. Okay, that's what yeah, I'm thinking going. of. I'm thinking of us falling asleep and these little weasels throwing all these little threads over us. There's so many little threads, we're powerless. Yeah, no, so we can't. Today. Yeah. But, but don't the both of I don't know if either one of y'all have witnessed this debacle. It's you know, they use the word surreal over and over and over. But what it is, is it's hyper-reality. It's right there in your face how phony this system is. These charges are cooked up out of thin air, and they're, they're gaining steam. I mean, what was it Pastor Peters used to talk about, the emperor has no clothes? We're witnessing that right before our very eyes. I think you're way overplaying your hand. I think the people are sick and tired of us. Well, Rich, I hope you're right, but the Democrats just took over a state, what, a month ago? Was it Virginia? They gained power. When good people do nothing, evil triumphs. Yeah, yeah and, and right speak. next to the swamp. Yep. And and one of the one of the things that that uh, but if I were to oh, go ahead. Hold that did you hear, did you hear the sheriff is deputizing two thousand gun owners as deputies? No, no, hold that thought just a minute. Mr. Trump, he's not said a word about this murderer in Florida. This Saudi national guy. He should have been the first one to stop the program. Yeah, I agree. But... What if Saudi Arabia is a trading partner of his? So then you remain silent on the matter, don't you? Think of those three families that lost a child, a daddy, 
And and look, here's how here's how crazy it is. These bundling bunch of idiots called the Intelligence Committee can't even define terrorism. They don't even know what it means. Is that not surreal? Well, they cannot that is, de- no, no Intelligence Committee. You can't define a terrorist? A guy walks in and sheds innocent blood. Boom, there's your terrorist. There's your definition. How hard is that? How about a guy that goes to a softball game and starts shooting people of the other party? There's a terrorist, isn't it? They can't even de- they can't even determine if it was a de- terroristic attack. Now there's something legal and pharmaceutical, whatever those people are. So there's something very lawyeristic about that, isn't there? You can't define a terrorist. Do you want leaders over you that cannot define a terrorist? I don't. Doug, do you want a leader that doesn't know right from wrong? That's, that's got the essence of, of it. Yeah, that's the essence of it, isn't it? We're going to form a committee, and we're going to meet and go over the facts and try to determine if this was terroristic. To me, that's the uh, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. If you can't figure that out. You're mentally ill. That these people that occupy our government are not friendly. They hate us. They're, how else could you look at this? Somebody Any help coincidence me. that the Justice and the Intelligence Committee are run by Jews? Hey, Rich, when you, when you speak... Rich, when you speak, you're really, really muffled. It's hard to get everything that you're saying. I don't know if it's the microphone and the position yeah, or what. You're a little muffled, too. Might be the connection. Yeah. Wow. Really? Well, it could be your phone, though. Are you hearing me through a phone? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it could be the phone is not uh, the speaker and the the and the microphone are not doing as well as they did once, maybe. But um, uh, say what you said again about the intelligence uh, thing. I said, is it a coincidence that they're both run by Jews? Well, that's an interesting thing that you know R- Russell had brought up in the beginning as well, because you know think about it. You know, this whole story about, I heard some sound bites of Barr today and and the talkers all ogling over what Barr has said that, you know, Barr is looking at this entirely different than the inspector general. You've got to understand, you know, he's looking at this from the, the perspective of, you know, we're going to prosecute somebody. We've got to definitely know what we have. We've got to know what evidence ties and connects. And, and I'm sitting here going, you know, what a bunch of, you know, crappy crap crap, uh, uh, paraphrasing Bart Simpson, 
You know, uh, for crying out loud, I know and we should all know that what's going on here is the cover-up. This the cover is up. the cover-up. The very thing that I said there, look, every simple single institution of the constitutional framework, executive, legislative, and judiciary has a stake in its exercise of its power rather than it's specifically limiting itself to that power. Every single institution. So whether it's executive, legislative, or judiciary, or anything that tentacle that was built under any one of those three areas, any tentacle Doug. under that, there Doug, is no. You got it wrong. Though. They have. What? It's not the. It's not the cover up. It's another cover up. Yeah, and the cover up is that. We have to learn everything that we've learned so we can determine how to tell the people there just isn't enough to prosecute anybody. These are all bureaucrats who are just, you know, people, and sometimes people make mistakes. They fail to follow policy. You know, can't we all just get along? Wait, Not wait, if you're a Trump supporter, me? you know, all these guys, they put in jail. Didn't they ruined Comey, their lives. Didn't Comey come out and say about Hillary, there just wasn't enough to convict? Right? Yeah. Do you remember? And he knows, of no, uh, he, he knows of no public prosecutor worth his salt that would take that case. So yeah, well, that that was that was the esoteric that was the esoteric message that said nobody would dare take a Clinton to court after the first one went to court. Yeah, her old boyfriend that got depressed shot himself in the park. Yeah. So anyway, I don't want to go out on a depressed mood. I I just I I mean it's like we're figuring some things out, but how do we use that as uh, they love to use the word incendiary? I'd like to start insinuating some things against them. Uh, what what could we do? Imprecatory prayer. That's what we're left with. Okay. I'm ready to hear it. Hold on. Um, I want to give you, end you back on a good note you said. So let's explain the validity of the covenant to our, our Christian brother out there that doesn't understand I'm in Paul's epistle to the Galatians 3 and verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuls or adds thereunto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. 
And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So, there it is. God gave it to Abraham by promise. Well, we need to reach out to our brethren. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we are told in Scripture that there, you know, uh, even though the Scripture, one might say, well, it says all Israel will be saved. Yes, all Israel was saved. Israel was saved under that, that the covenant of grace. But it's only a remnant that gets saved at any particular time in the age. And so in this age that we're living in, God is, again, amassing and preparing his remnant. Now, if it's the end of the ages, then there's not much left to do. But as long as we're here, we're supposed to be about the Father's will, and we're supposed to be about carrying it out. And that's what we continue to do. What you just read, wouldn't that be the definition of spiritual enlightenment? Finding out who you are. Amen. Well, somebody started, and not so, and not, and not, and not so that we could boast. No. But rather that, rather that we would respect and see, and understand the obligation that we're under, and how. God was willing to grant unto us to be a light to the nations. Wow, what a joy to be a servant to do that. It's no more a boast than a fireman putting out fires in a local city. He's just doing his job. Yeah, that's it. And we don't have to worry about the face of man because the judgment is God's. We're just supposed to carry it out. I'm better already. (laughs) Praise and glory. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the wonderful blessing of this truth, for the foundation of this promise, not to boast in it, but to joy in it, to joy in it for the blessing that is to redound to the creation by the carrying out of your will, by your servants. Father, continue to guide and direct us to be the servants. That's right. Against the, against the children of wickedness, against those who desire unrighteousness, against those who are adversarial to your intention, to your will, to your design. Father, we do come against them in your name. In your name, 
We huh? seek that you bring judgment down upon their heads. And we know, Lord, that you are true and that you will. We sometimes don't get to see it. And it takes time. And you're patient. So, Father, we thank you for all that you do do in showing us day after day the truth. And that we're able to be witnesses of that truth to the nations, as many as we're able to come in contact with. And we thank you for that small measure and small part that we're able to do. I praise you and lift up your holy name. And I ask, Father, that you continue to root out and tear down and to uproot the wicked that are amongst us, whether it be priest or king, that you will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. Asking it in the blessed holy name of your Son, that we would abide in him and he would Abide then in us as the Father abides. We thank you for that promise again, too. Amen. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise and glory to you. Let your name be lifted on high. Let the world extol your virtues and the righteousness of our inheritance. The redemption. What an inheritance. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this time we get together. We ask your blessings upon us and our families, protection and guidance. Lord God, we're willing, but we need some direction as to how we can serve you better. Lord God, we come against our enemies and your enemies, those that hate us and hate you. Let their wives be widows. Let their children be orphans. Let them beg in the streets and be no more in this generation. Heavenly Father, we're counting on you to bail us out of this mess. We aren't getting anywhere without you and teach us how to war. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, Lord. Amen. Thank you for thank you for spiritual enlightenment tonight. Thank you. Amen. 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 All right, man. Well, good chatting with you all. We'll catch up with you next time. Okay. Yeah. Good night. Good night, all. Good night.